ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The attacker had very good knowledge of banking systems. $2.1 billion in stolen funds. The cyber criminal group. It was the Lazarus group again. These are smart guys. The Lazarus heist is back for a brand new season. We're following the latest twists and turns in the incredible story of the Lazarus group hackers. The Lazarus heist, season two from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. I'm Jasmine Elmer, and this is Legit Classics. I came to classics through a love of the X-Files. I just really wanted to be an FBI agent. Classics or study of the ancient world is a investigation and that's exactly the same as what FBI agents do. Here at Legit Classics, you don't need a cravat, a rare wine collection and a villa in Tuscany to sample the delights of the Greco-Roman world. How this is going to work is I'm going to get someone that knows some stuff about things in their field. I'm going to take the things I know about the stuff in my field, bring this all together and give you something bigger than either of us can do on our own. Whether you're here for the lulls or the learns, buckle up. It's time to get legit. Today's episode is going to be all about parenting with the absolutely wonderful Sarah Turner, or AKA the uh, Mumsy Mum. Um, I always know which way around to do that. Do you prefer to be called the uh, Mumsy Mum and AKA Sarah, or just Sarah? I really don't mind. I'm so chilled about it. It's just, yeah, both. Either or is fine. Thank you. (laughs) So we should say, obviously, you're an author, a blog. You started as a blogger. And obviously, for me, you know, I'm a big fangirl. So you talk normally about (laughs) parenting experiences, specifically being a mum for your for your lovely boys. Yeah, so, that's the idea. Do you want to introduce your family a little bit? I mean, I'm going to talk about my little boy in a minute as well, just yeah. so everyone knows you know, who we all are. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a mum of three boys, uh, Henry, who is nearly 10, Jude, who's seven, and Wilf, who's four. Mm-hmm. Um, they're crazy, um, wrestling, football, Nerf gun, mad farty boys god love them <laughs> I mean I haven't got as many as you I've got one boy and that is enough so I have absolutely no idea how you're doing that I mean my little boy Ted he's five so it's Aww. good for our listeners to know today that we're coming at this from actual experience of being mums absolutely uh, and we're going to bring that in today to make sure that we, that we understand it so I want to know a little bit more about you know what inspired you originally to write this blog because you were writing at a time I, I became a mum in 2016 yeah. And it was horrifying to me how so few people were talking in a realistic way about how parent we all know parenting is great it's amazing being a parent but it's so hard. Yeah. And you were one of the first voices I came across that was going is anyone else saying this is a bit hard? <laughs> is this a little bit crap? And I really thank you so much from all the people that that you you've done that for. Yeah, so I had Henry in 2012 and I started the blog in 2013. Um, and honestly, I had started to think that maybe it really was just me that was sort of finding motherhood harder than I thought, but also harder than everybody else around me, or so it seemed. So I've kind of felt like, um, 
I'd been missold. You know, you saw those adverts for like <laughs> payment protection insurance. Um, I felt like I'd been missold motherhood a little bit in that I'd been shown kind of like the glossy highlights, the showreel, but not the kind of at times brutal reality of it. Um, and I honestly wasn't sure if, you know, it was one of two things. Either everybody was kind of struggling um, but people weren't being completely upfront about how hard they were finding it, or it really was just me. And at the time, the time I wrote my first blog post, which I think was called Other Mums Must Be Lying, uh, which kind of gives you an insight into my headspace. <laughs> I think that sums it up, right? I mean, you yeah. don't need to say much more, but yeah. Um, I didn't really know which way it was going to go. And obviously the fascinating thing about it was that, yes, I started writing a blog because I couldn't find... The, the sort of honest parenting voice that I myself needed at the time. Um, but it was kind of for me in that it was like a release. It was like an online diary. And I had, yeah. no, I had no followers at this point. You know, I wasn't on Twitter or Instagram. So you're sort of screaming or, into the wind, yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> 100%, 100% that. It was, it, was, it was a release. And I can remember getting sort of five views at the, at, you know on a blog post and thinking that was amazing and then realizing that I hadn't turned off my own views so like four of them would be <laughs> mine when I'd gone back to check it but I didn't really care it wasn't a, it wasn't about that it was just kind of um I felt so much better I felt lighter every time I pressed publish on those blog posts and then it snowballed from there into social yeah. media kind of pages and book deals and yeah like a dream come true well it just goes to show like I said I'm one of those mums that read that and it just is it's, it was really important to hear those voices because they just didn't exist and the reality of what it's like to be a parent is is often really brutal and that's actually kind of what I want to get onto today about you know many thousands of years ago what was it like for those people yeah um were, were they trying if they'd have had a, a chance to do a blog or a book might they have you know, had this catharsis and written all this stuff out to to help yeah. themselves deal with the difficulties of it. So obviously this is a classics podcast. So I wanted to ask you, like, do you, have you had any experience of classics? Did you ever study it? I can remember doing some stuff about Rome, but I don't really, you know, not, not massively. Maybe it wasn't set as a subject in that way because we, it was incorporated into other stuff. Like I remember doing yeah. Greek myths. I remember acting out a play um I can't remember which myth it was but I think Persephone does that is that a does that ring a bell so in the underworld yes is that the one you mean yes is, yeah. it was, is, is she Zeus's daughter I kind of remember being there was some sort of abduction uh, that's right yeah the story that was of me and that's Persephone. all I remember is being, oh, you were being, abducted I was Persephone <laughs> and I was abducted so that's you know it doesn't really it's not really a great advert for primary education is it um, that's all Not I remember. Really. If that's all you rem- I love that that's all you remember. I, I'm almost, I'm almost like reticent to go any further. I feel like we should just end here and then yeah, that's, that's all it. you ever go around that- in the world knowing about classics. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much, tragically, that's pretty much my classics training is a, is a play where I got abducted. Uh, <laughs> poor, poor Persephone. Poor Persephone. <laughs> So it won't shock you here that actually most of the parenting went down to the women. So it was a it was a woman's role to have children. In fact, her main aim, you would have been their favourite person <laughs> because you've given birth to three boys. You yes. would have been in high, <laughs> high regard. You know, for women, it's quite sucky. I'm not going to lie. There's not a lot of freedom for women to choose. It's not like today. There's no like big careers. There's no... 
kind of freedom of choice. And actually in ancient Greece, it's a little bit more strict than it is in in Rome often. The higher up you go in society, the more help you get. Like today, like the mums that have 50 nannies. Yeah. Um, in, in the ancient world, they would have been slaves instead, but they would have had a whole kind of team, a cohort of people helping them out. Yeah. Um, given that women sort of took this leading role in the ancient world, do you think that's changed today? Do you think that the responsibility is still with women? I generally speaking, I do, but I feel like as a household, we probably buck the trend a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. In that it's it's fairly it's fairly even here. In that my husband works part time. When we had our youngest, he did share parental leave and took the best part of a year off. So um, we, it's, it's other than parenting, what I like to call parenting admin, you know, like school stuff or emails and dates and that sort of stuff I would say I probably do the lion's share of school-based admin but other than that it's fairly equal in our house but what I've noticed is that that uh, people will comment on that so which suggests to me that it's not that's not the norm so I often get lots of school mums saying you know oh you're so lucky because James does x y and z and then they'll list all the things that basically are just parenting tasks, you know? Like, yeah, no, I totally You're, you're so lucky that your parents <laughs> is children. Um, but I get what they're saying. It's, you know... It's... I'm the same as you. I mean, my situation is the same. My husband, John, in fact, I'd say he does a bit more. He does most of the drop-offs. Yeah. And actually, that I get... There is a lot of women that will sometimes say to me, oh, like almost like, are you okay? Is there a reason that you don't yeah. do it? But then I guess I must acknowledge that our work allows us to do that. We both work flexibly from home, so we can physically do that. Uh, You know, I think there's been a lot in the press recently about the effects of the pandemic mean that, in fact, we might have regressed slightly as women um, back into the traditional role of being mother in the home. We've sort of taken control as a result of lockdowns and the pandemic. And I wonder how long that's going to potentially take to reverse for for, for women. I mean, who knows if, if it will. Yeah, um, fingers crossed it might. I'm seeing more of it. And actually, in terms of the pandemic, I think because a lot more dads were working from home in a way that they weren't before, I certainly noticed kind of in yes. terms of the playground demographic shifted a little bit into being, you know, slightly more even. But the number of times people stop me and go, I can't believe James does X, Y and Z um suggests that yeah we're not we're not quite there yet no I mean I can't even explain to you how far removed this is from the ancient world because actually (laughs) you know the women were doing everything and if it wasn't the women it was the slaves or specialized so some of the slaves would have acted like tutors or teachers some of them might have been like a wet nurse yeah um so there's all these different people around obviously that's for wealthy people yeah um but you know there are some messed up things so the, the role of men especially in ancient Rome is a kind of odd one because you know, it was always the man of the house that would decide if a child was physically allowed to live. So you would have given birth wow. to your boys in the ancient world and it would be up to James to decide whether or not they are legally allowed to to become part of the family. And, it, you know, it is fully brutal. So, you know, these babies were born. Um, there would have been, a depending on what, where we're talking, so in ancient Rome for a moment, there would have been a period of time where they almost don't connect or bond with the baby, which is completely opposite, obviously, to how we feel today. They put the baby straight on you, don't they, today, for connection. But there is an idea, really, in the ancient world that you must remain a bit aloof. And it does make some sense because, you know, we're talking about one third of children wouldn't live to one years old. So the mortality is extremely high in in Greece and Rome. So they kind of have this disconnect, an emotional disconnect, that they almost like warm up slowly to the notion of it. 
And like I said, legally, it's, it's the man's, it's like property. The child is, it, it, it's down to the man of the house to decide whether this child lives or dies. That literally. And there are examples of where children have just been killed by parents. Yeah. And more brutally, um, there's this thing called exposure, which is uh, in some ways a form of, you know, birth control, but also a, a, a way that if, if, a, if a man doesn't want to accept a child into the family, they would do this thing called exposure, which is leaving the child out into the elements. It's horrible, this, Sarah. So just like, <gasps> I really wish if it was, it's early in the morning, but I'd give, said, get some wine or something for this. Because <laughs> uh, it's intense. It's, this is intense. This is a buckle up moment because they leave these kids and they, they are left to die or others would pick them up and take them. But can you imagine James having that level of control? You've just carried this child, you've given birth, you've survived birth, which is actually a sodding miracle in the ancient world. Yeah. And then and then it's up to him to take this child in and there are ceremonies that surround all of this, etc. So um God. you know, when we talk about the role of the man. Yeah, here, I mean contrast that intense. like I'm picturing James kind of holding up the baby, sort of Lion King style to have a look at it. And that's what they did. Yeah. They actually they put the baby at the in, in Rome, they put the baby at the feet of the man. This is after about eight days old. If the man picks the child up and holds it high, it means, oh, you're in the house, you you know, welcome to the house. If he just sort of like, I don't know what he would have done, walked off, I don't know, (laughs) then it it means that the child is not accepted and I don't know, it has to go. And they get either exposed or given away or something like that. Or, I mean, perhaps I know this is, I'm going to the the extreme, might be that the child was put into slavery, which is equally as horrific. Contrasting that with the image of you know, after I've just given birth to to our our firstborn son, and um, and James was kind of handed Henry, and then the midwife said, "Can you kind of, you know, get him get him dressed?" And you know, then and James That's sort of looked at this happen. six pound like wriggling thing and was <laughs> like, um, "There's just, you know, it's a it's a lot, isn't it, to get that first baby grow on?" And that was yeah, no, I can't, can't imagine him having to deal with anything more um more pressing than that I mean in my my head in my head it's you know this child is then raised up and accepted and the and the dad just sort of knocks off for a couple of years because I'm not bothered about this now let it just knock around in the house playing and then I'll come back when I'm ready to train it to be a politician or a lawyer or a great poet then I'll turn turn up again but I mean that sounds really harsh but like I said I just really want us to spend a moment thinking for the about the reasons why because these children often died. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a kind of protection. Self-preservation. Yeah. If you think about women who are pregnant often, I mean, I certainly did this disconnect when I was pregnant because I was Mm. a bit like, I know there's a baby in there, but until I see this baby and it's out safely, then I don't really quite understand that it's real. And I needed that for it to be real. Um, and it's, don't get me wrong, I wasn't going around while I was pregnant, <laughs> pretending I wasn't pregnant. I followed all the rules, but I just sort of couldn't mentally get to the point where I was like, this is going to be a baby in my life. I just couldn't do it. It was too much, my mind, my mind blown. So in some ways, I do kind of identify with this in a slight sense with that. And yeah. it takes time once a child is born, doesn't it, for you to... I think that's another bit of parenting people don't talk about. It can take time for you to really bond with that yeah, child. That oh, instant definitely. love thing is not... It's not for everybody. It doesn't happen for everybody. So I think that's a good thing to say as well. No, one of the things I think might might have changed is our ability as women today to kind of use birth control. They had birth control. I mean, there's some bloody brilliant ones, actually. Um, Fennel, a type of fennel. Don't think that would have worked. Right. Um, Various bits of willow, pomegranate. 
you know, weird. See, oh, there's um, Aristotle, one of the writers says you can put cedar oil in your womb. Oh. And then you'll be fine. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure you can see why it didn't really work um and they even like the Romans uh had um condoms that they would use that made up like sheep's bladder nice so yeah it's lovely isn't it um obviously I'm not advocating any of these as a good idea for birth control methods I mean they even said wear an amulet I mean a soddy necklace and then you won't get pregnant I I was listening to the radio the other day and they were saying that for the first time in however many I'm sure it was like a hundred years or something or since the records began for this, that 50% of women in their 30s are without children. That was, you know, and they were saying, you know, can you imagine that sort of however many, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, women sort of had children in their 20s and that was just what they did. And I think obviously if you didn't have birth, if you didn't have birth control and that sort of body autonomy for women in their 20s and, and early 30s or even late 30s, and beyond, then, you know, it wouldn't be the case, would it? People would either just not be having any sex or they would, you know, everybody would be pregnant. So definitely there's more um, there's more freedom to choose when and if you want to, you know, exactly. start, a, start a family at all because it's not, you know, mm. it's not a given, is it? Um, but, yeah. It's yeah, good, no, and in the, in the ancient world, you know, girls are getting married rather than women, you know, yeah. for them at the average age of, you know, they're getting married at 12 and 13. And yeah. as we know, medically, that's a much more dangerous time to have a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so that's probably also accounts for the sort of high mortality rates yeah. in giving birth. I mean, obviously that's probably the, the most dangerous side of, of having a child in the ancient world is, is giving birth and surviving it. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get into detail, but I was very sick when my, when my son was born. And I'm only around because the doctors could save me, you know. Yes. And I did think about this, you know, in the aftermath of it. I thought, my God, I'm so lucky to live today. And not just today, but in the country that we live in where we have access to healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, because obviously we've got to acknowledge that elsewhere in the world, some yeah, of these sure. things are still happening f- for women. And, and you know, we're a long way for equality for women across the world and safety in childbirth. So it's easy to talk about this as something that's 2,000 years old. But in reality, yeah, this right. is going on in other countries in the world right now. So I know it's quite a controversial issue, but I'd like to get into a little bit about breast versus bottle. Yeah. So women may have breastfed, but they had wet nurses. Um, and in fact, you might have been able to go and buy breast milk in markets and things like that from, from from wet nurses. And they found actually archaeologically these little kind of, they look like little lamp, lanterns, almost little lamps, but they're actually little uh, feeders for milk. So possibly oh. did they express... But the other thing that's quite famous is, you know, mixing wine with honey and giving that to your child when it's very young is another option. And let's be honest, there's been a few times at two, three in the morning that oh you thought about doing yeah. it. Yeah. So like and the, the, the really interesting bit really is one um, author is called Serranus and he says that colostrum, which we know today is like, you know, it's always colostrum, colostrum, colostrum. Oh, yeah. Liquid gold. People, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for those yeah. people that aren't mums. Yeah. That's just the first bit of your milk that comes through is, is a bit different. It's dense. It's full of all sorts of properties, like anti, special antibodies for the baby and things like that. So, you know, you're supposed to, to, to give your child that. But he actually says, because, you know, like I said, remember, medicine's not great then, that this is a uh, cooked menstrual blood. What they believed is because you wow. haven't had a period for nine months where you've been pregnant, 
that this blood has to go somewhere and it comes up and it's it's a, a cook. why it's cooked i don't know but um the colostrum <laughs> is that coming out i mean there's so many weird things sarah we've gone for days about how weird it all is and actually therefore is a bad thing to give to your child so you know maybe don't give them the colostrum beer which is obviously complete opposite to what we're told today so there are like kind of a variety i think of views about breastfeeding and actually maybe not quite as contentious because people used wet nurses and that was yeah. a regular thing, a normal thing to do, especially for the upper classes. There was this little test. So if you were going to get a wet nurse, yeah. you had to test the quality of her milk. So okay. you'd, put, you'd put a bit of the, the breast milk on your, on your nail, on your forefinger. Right. And, and if, you, if it runs down the side, it's too watery. So it's like, no, that's no good. Yeah. Um, and if you if you turn the nail over and it sticks, it's too thick, so that's no good. That is just insane, but amazing. <laughs> so I thought we could do like you know I've been talking kind of quite generally here about uh, parenting in the ancient world. I know we haven't gone through everything. It's such a huge topic. We could be here for nine thousand years going through it. All. <laughs> but obviously, once these babies have survived their their you know their their childhoods and they've been brought up by their mothers or the slaves or you know they do go to they either go to school so they you know depending on when it is there may have been a tutor um that they would go to in a sort of classroom environment yeah um but in reality it's not a school it's not as we would deem it as a school um but that's where they go to learn and shock horror it would have been the boys really that go and receive this kind of you know academic training in various yeah. areas um usually along the lines of learning how to be a good like rhetorician or something or being able to read and write in latin and greek and debate because most of those skills are what they need to get into the higher echelons of society in terms of jobs so yeah um, and like i said they tend to follow in their father's footsteps girls stay at home uh, maybe receive some basic education like reading and writing and again you know the higher up in society you go the maybe the more refined that becomes but yeah. really it's the mum with the girls at home teaching them how to be good little greek or roman women which is managing your household having children being a good wife and so keeping your man things. happy yeah keeping your man happy exactly oh, exactly it's so right bleak. It's so bleak. no it really is i mean it really 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 is you know especially in the line of work we both do you know everything we do is based on our voice and our voice being heard and our opinions and yeah. we would be totally muted i mean we'd have none of this you know power so but the the, the place that like bucks the trend that's really different is sparta in the middle of Greece, in the Peloponnese. And the reason I'm talking about it is because they love to fly by their own little rules there. They did not follow the rest of the rules okay. that everyone else had in ancient Greece. So this baby will be born, right? And instead of the, the father doing the thing that we talked about, allowing the child, accepting the child into the family, the state do it. Wow. So soldiers rock up. Imagine that, you know, think of whichever child you like. You've just given birth. Knock, knock, knock. What's up? Spartan soldiers are here and what they would do is take the baby and this is the bit that makes me laugh they would basically bathe it in wine and you'd be like why well to see if it's hardcore so that's their way of seeing if it's hardcore if it's if it's physically strong and capable it will deal with the wine all over it and not do anything um if it doesn't somehow I mean I'm not quite sure what the measurement was or if it wasn't coping with the wine like if it fell asleep or something it was considered weak so their okay. obsession with strong boys that are weak and brave and have this warrior quality. God. But then that's when that horrible, brutal stuff comes on. Because again, if the child is weak, they expose it. So that thing I said later on. Yeah. So it's from Latin, ex pono, which means to place down or place out. Right. So it's about putting putting the kid out, you know. 
So they would do that as well, probably in a much higher rate than elsewhere. Um, yeah. And you can imagine boys are the prize here. You know, it's boys that they, they really care about. So these boys go off to this thing, it's called the agogi, and that's their schooling. And they're taught essentially, like they're, it's very physically demanding. They're sort of flung on the mountainside with a cape and there's like, it's freezing. And they're like seven. So I want you to imagine your boys here. Oh, Not too much because it's quite horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're, they're kind of being thrown onto and asked to survive. So they're being taught like hardcore. It's like, what's that program? That SAS. Oh, SAS who dares wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the one. yeah. It's like that for a seven year old. And, you, wow. know, they're, they're, you know, they're taken away from their mothers. You know, they're never at home. So I think my first question is, how do you reckon, is there anything in that in a jokey way that we think that our boys could cope with? God. I mean, You said about they do wrestling, so maybe, yeah, maybe now mean, they physically, physically are your boys quite physical? I mean, Wilf obviously at four is, would, would, be too, would be too young, but I would probably sure. rate his chances the, the highest of the three oh, of right, my three boys. He's, 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 he's dead hard is Wilf. Um, so I think <laughs> he'd be, he's the sort of kid that bounces when he falls over and, you right. know, uh, has always got his hand in a fist ready to punch one of the, one of his big brothers. <laughs> so he'd probably be all right. Spartans might have liked yeah, him. Yeah. 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 Jude at seven. I mean, I don't want to say I pander to his needs, but I'm like, I've warmed your pajamas up on the radiator for you, darling. Oh, bless him. So Jude would be. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm really sorry, Jude. There's not. A, there's not a lot of success. You wouldn't have a lot of hope for, for, Jen, really, for Jude. Really, really no. not. No. Um, and Henry, I don't know. Henry is a little bit potentially, potentially more likely to do it. But no, Wilf. I feel like probably if I had to, you know put money on one of them he somebody might be able to do something Wilf. with him he seems quite he seems quite resilient and uh, independent the other two yeah <laughs> one no. of the things they would teach them in courage was stealing which wow. might sound strange they would starve them they would try and get them to go and find their own food so one of the things they would teach him is this stealth so there's a really famous story actually of a little boy that um had found a fox that he was going to eat um right. but he can't if, if you're caught with uh, stealing then that's just as bad. You know, you could be, you know, sometimes it is quite brutal. If you if you are seen to be weak, you're not a proper Spartan. You may be killed at any point. It's really quite extreme. So he hid this fox under his his like cloak and it started to gnaw at his tummy and he and he died. Oh, my now, God. now, listen, I know it's, I'm not I'm not asking <laughs> you to relate this to your children at all. It's absolutely disgusting. But I'm trying to give you an idea of how extremely brutal this type of like life was for these young boys. You know, you go through all this and if you survive, then you get to go and be a Spartan warrior and fight battles. So, you yeah. know, and, and the women, the thing that I find hard as a mother, and I know we, ha we have to take away our modern context, but I do feel like there is a, you know, there is an inherent thing in mothers to protect their children. Yeah. I, I don't know how these Spartan women coped with it because society conditioned them and they were quite hard on their sons as well there are famous sayings like when they go to battle um come back with your shield or on it so basically they'd carry the dead body on the shield so yeah basically be, don't be lose. good at fighting yeah. exactly yeah. oh god but obviously the reality i wonder what the reality was like for these women because actually that protection injury you know your, your child has gone off i mean i know it, i'm taking a modern view here but there must be some element of that um well, so, you know, like t yeah. my son, Ted, would have been rubbish in it. <laughs> the thing is, he would have just annoyed them to death with the questions. They'd be <laughs> like, right, go up there and get yourself some food. Why? Yeah. Because you need, why? <laughs> why? And I yeah. don't think actually he'd have done too well. I think they would have got rid of him quite quickly. I wonder if there's anything useful in the sort of disciplinarian side. But do you think that 
you know, some people say that we've become quite soft as parents. You know, if you look at generations you know, above us, do you feel that um, there would be anything in that discipline, that kind of teaching kids discipline? It's an interesting one, because sometimes I feel like we ought to be harder on our boys in terms of discipline. And, you know, I'm always making jokes about, you know, boundaries, as in we just don't have any. <laughs> you know, <where> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, we should do this, and this is unacceptable. But then and I, you know, I joke about warming up pajamas on the radiator and, you know, I am, I'm that parent that the pre-parent me always said she wouldn't be. So, you know, I'll dig out the favorite plate and the favorite cup color. And, you know, sometimes that's more because it's part of least resistance for me. And actually it just makes my life easier to kind of pander to their needs. But sometimes I think maybe I should be harder in terms of discipline. But like you said about kindness, there are other times when I kind of look at them and think, actually at the end of the day, um, they're quite polite. I mean, they're, they're, they might run around and wrestle each other and, you know, I might wake up and, and to the sound of one of them trying to choke slam the other one. And then, you know, <laughs> the, the eldest one going, don't tell mum, don't tell mum. Um, but when it comes to it, we often, you know, if ever there's like a, a marker of how well you're doing as a parent or how well your kids are doing, like people will say, you know, when they're not with me, like if they've gone on a, like Henry went to watch a football match with some, somebody else's mum and she said, oh, he was very, you know, he was very polite. He was very well behaved. But, you know, my mum's generation and above, there were there was this notion of children should be seen and not heard. I'm not saying that's how I was brought up. It wasn't. But I'm just saying yeah. that, you know, it's not that long ago that, that children took, in some ways, they were more in the background than they are yeah. today. Whereas I think often modern parenting the child takes the kind of central position often. Is that a good thing? Is that the right thing? Are we moving towards a kind of better, more healthy and holistic way of parenting? I don't know. It's like one of those posts that's intended to shame, shame, I'll say parents, but generally speaking, it's aimed at mums and it's kind of like yeah, it usually is. <laughs> all, your, all your child sees and it's kind of like a picture of a mum with, you know, glued to her smartphone. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, this is all your child sees, you know, you're not paying them attention, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you know, kind of judgy for yeah. kind of being smartphone addicted. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when I'm on my phone, I am genuinely working and I'll say to the boys, I'm just doing something, you know, it's a big crossover for me because social media is often tied into work. So I'm sort of doing something that's, you know, pulls Stop me lying, out of being Sarah, you're yeah, shopping, you're, no, you're, no, no. you're shopping so, for something now. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> it is, sometimes it's work, but sometimes it really isn't. Like sometimes I'm just, yeah. I'm just checking out of the reality of parenting for a minute because I, because I need to. So I'll watch all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff on. I'm that person that procrastinates and clicks on every Facebook <laughs> video that comes up. Like watch, <laughs> watch this amazing video of a whale carcass exploding. And I'm like, yeah, so you've gone down, I'll, you're going to go down the rabbit hole. For, for yeah. me. <laughs> um, but I, the, the, the phone thing um, is interesting because I feel like we're shamed into how reliant we are on our phones. But then I can remember as a young child, quite often, trying to get my dad's attention, but he would be reading the newspaper and he would go, hang on a minute, Sarah, like, you know, and I always felt kind of loved and wanted and that my opinions were interesting. But there were lots of times when my dad would literally just put a newspaper between us and show me that he wasn't listening because he was doing something. And I had to then go away and you know, kind of play with my sister or entertain myself for a minute. And I kind of feel like there's not that much 
difference in that. It's just that my iPhone is was my dad's guardian. Like it's the it's just yeah. a, it's just a different different times. I've got another little thing I want to talk to you about. So okay. you probably have heard of uh, Mary Bid. I think it's Dame Mary Bid now, Professor Mary Bid. So she does um, lots of working classics in the media and does yeah. lots of TV programs. So she wrote an article in 2012 that I want to kind of discuss with you. Um, and she brought to light, you know, this piece of evidence that classicists know. There was a there's a tombstone of a young boy who was 11 and a half, and and obviously sadly. Shock horror, spoiler alert, he died because it was yeah. a tombstone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I gave you that word. Um, he's called uh, Solpicius. So he he died and, you know, at 11 and a half. And the parents say that one of the reasons that he died is he'd entered into this um, kind of, as Mary put it, Rome's Got Talent style poetry competition for adults, but he's 11 and a half. And he, did, he didn't win it, but he did really well at it. And the parents sort of suggest that this little boy had died because he'd overdone it, that he'd done too much. He'd be pushed himself too hard or they had pushed him too hard. Okay. So it's a kind of a like ancient moral tale about the pushy parent. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about pushy parents because in the ancient world, these parents were what we call freed men and women. So they were uh, people that used to be slaves that had found their freedom. And so it's quite hard for them to find a way to socially climb because Rome is a, a kind of society that's very, very disconnected in terms of its you know, different classes. So to move up in classes, not the same as it is today. It's very difficult. You're very rigid in kind of your yeah. class. You can move up, but it's extremely hard work. So someone who's, who is an ex-slave is going to be grafting quite a lot to do that, no doubt, in ancient Rome. So. You kind of to put the context there about why why it's important that they push their child to do this. But I wonder what your view is. You know, clearly pushy parenting is going on there because, you know, men were particularly were very in, invested yeah. in what their boys became because it's the family reputation yeah, sure. that needs to be upheld. And obviously there is the consideration of, of an heir inheriting not just the name the reputation but the physical property because it would always go to boys in the family. So yeah. So Hen- Henry would inherit what does james do for a job what's uh, his... he's a civil servant right so we'll just he would be a civil so he would be learning the art of actually it's not a good thing to learn nowadays i won't not go really. on to the news uh, contemporary it's, news at the moment yeah, no, it's, but, really um, not. it's not great um but yeah so he would be taught in that kind of you know how to be a civil servant follow follow james and understand that and and it would be expected that he would continue with that and if he didn't continue with that he had to do something else that was even better or you know yeah. certainly at the same echelon so how much do you feel you need to push, that might not be the right word for it, your boys towards things? Yeah. And how much do you think we should sit back and let things unfold and then sort of, you know, as you yeah. direct them when they need it? I have met parents that I would say are pushier than we are with their own children. But I'm sure those parents would, you know, reframe what I say is pushy as just being encouraging for their for sure. children to kind of succeed and I sometimes feel like you know we've we've almost ran the risk of being both not pushy enough and too pushy at various points with the boys so it's tricky it's really hard to know also what to push them towards doing so just because Mm. just because James liked football I'm like I don't want it to be a given that they all do football so we saw an advert on um, a local page for upcoming tennis lessons so I said to Jude, Jude, do you want to do a trial, four weeks of tennis lessons? And he went, yeah, okay. And I went, brilliant. So I signed him up. And then he came into me about 10 minutes later and went, mum, what's tennis? And I was like, okay, 
Well, we, well, you'll find you'll soon find out because we're um, we're doing it. We're starting Tuesday, um, but it's like I would hope it's more encouragement than pushing. But I don't know. I'm not pushy when it comes to homework, and that's because after the the time spent homeschooling two children yeah. during a pandemic, I will never force the issue ever again for my own for my own well-being <laughs> so that's a boundary for me um I mean I make them I make them do it up to a point but if you know there was a time when if one of them had said to me I can't I don't want to do this I would have said no you're doing it and we all would have fallen out all day now I will say that's fine if you don't want to do it I'll send a message to your teacher that says they don't they've refused to do it and then of course they hate that no, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. so I don't know I don't know if I sometimes feel like other parents, you know, there are always parents that sign their kids up for everything. They have an activity every day, every night of the week. And the kids are really kind of propelled to be the best at everything. Though it has a really, really bad kind of reputation or bad connotations. Maybe sometimes parents that are pushy are just parents that really really love their kids hard and want what's best for them you see i was actually going to say while you while you were talking about all of that that how much of the pushy parenting is about the parent because i i think um that a lot of it comes from whatever you perceive to be your own failures that you're projecting onto your child or your own insecurities whatever they might be yeah so you know like and then that other layer that we've been talking about quite a lot today is this sort of fear um, of not doing parenting properly, like the way that we yeah. were talking about at the beginning of you know beginning of the episode. We we're nearly running out of time, I'm afraid, Sarah. So uh, you can see, uh, I can see that our lovely producer has just popped up, waving <laughs> at us. She's smiling, so she's not particularly cross. Um, but we are being sort of there's a slight teacher look of come on now, time to t- time to wrap up. I always ask my guests to finish up with a kind of really fun, stupid, silly little game. So the game is called Legit. Earmates, you'll see what I've done there. We're talking about a modern concept here of obviously parenting. I represent yeah. you know, the ancient world and bringing that. And I like for my guests to try and sum up kind of what they can take away from the ancient side today yeah. um, in like about a minute. You Please don't worry. It's just a little wind up. <laughs> I'll give you a score. I'm going to, you know, think... <laughs> So Sarah Turner, aka Mumsy Mum, are you ready to play Legitimates? I am. In, th- in three. Bring it on. Two, one. Well, I'm obviously fairly traumatised by the uh, by the stories of the ancient world and parenting. Uh, so I'll have to hug my kids a little bit tighter tonight. But do I think the ancient world parents and modern world parents would be Legitimates? Yes, I do. Because I think parenting is a common ground, unlike any other. So kids are still kids, right? So, you know, annoying toddlers now would have been annoying toddlers in ancient Rome. There's no getting no getting away from that. So I think they are closer than we think. But I'm not about to put either any of my children on a mountain or, you know, see if they can survive in the cold, um, even though it's sometimes a little bit tempting. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think common ground like any other. So legitimates for sure. Um, but yeah, a little bit uh, savage, the ancient world, when it came to came to parenting. But I would have been all right with three boys, I think. I think I'd have done myself done myself proud. No girls in this house. <laughs> Sarah, that was amazing. You did so well because there's so much to cover and it was just so, so good. And I think, you know, 
it's really, really hard to try and, you know, sum up everything you've just learned. But I love your personal response to this. Yeah, definitely don't Tragic. follow any of yeah. the parenting <laughs> advice I've given from the age of it. I, I, think, I feel like we should have started with that, really. A little caveat. Yeah, a little disclaimer. Don't copy this at home. Um, but thank you so, so much for your time today. You've been absolutely oh, thanks great. For I've learned me. a lot about parenting anyway. I've enjoyed I feel like it. I need to message you now for some more tips. Um, <laughs> But, you know, thank you for sharing, you know, all your experience and thank you for what you do, because I think, you know, all the mums out there will want me to to share that because we, we're really grateful for people like you that speak up and speak the truth. So just keep going. Thank you so much. The haters. Um, <laughs> and, and thank you so much for your time. So great. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I, hope you I did. I loved it. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the home edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>